The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. Find out more about the network and other amazing Alberta-made podcasts at albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornway. And I'm Ryan Hassman. And you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on December 9th, 2018, and we're also joined by our awesome producer, Adam Rosenhart. Well, hello there, fellas. Party on, Adam. Party on, Dave. Merry Christmas to you both. Merry Christmas. Yeah, when you guys are hearing this, it's like the day before Christmas. And we know you're listening to it on Christmas Eve. What else would you be listening to? Santa himself has it playing in the sled. Because we know you're not listening to Baby It's Cold Outside. And we're we're here eating our milk and cookies. (laughs) You can only hear the Mariah Carey song so many times. (laughs) (laughs) You shouldn't be watching Love Actually. You should be listening to this podcast. Yeah. So it, it's uh, it's been a while since we've gotten to our mailbag, uh, so we decided to dedicate this entire episode, our last episode of this year, 2018, to answering all your questions. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Well, wait. Before we do that, okay, we're going to play a game. Okay. Remember? That's right. <laughs> it's a game we're calling, Is It More Likely? That's a really catchy phrase. I mean, I thought so. So should we say yes or no? More or less? I, I think the way we're, we're going to do this is I'm going to ask you guys a question. And is it more likely question? And I want I want a quick yes or no. Or I want you to just quickly answer the question and provide a little bit of detail. It's kind of like our lightning round. And then we'll get into the mailbag. How does yeah, that sound? And, and this is something that we got from... Uh, from the poll, the pollcast, yeah, oh. CBC pollcast that Eric Grenier hosts. They did a segment similar to this a few months ago, and it was looked sounded like a lot of fun. So we're gonna try our hand on it as an Alberta politics version. So here we go. Is it is it more likely the first time we're ever doing this? So if it fails utterly, it was entirely Ryan's fault. Is it more likely that Rachel Notley will call a late election, or Justin Trudeau will call an early election? Ryan, Rachel Notley. She's going to call a late election. She, I'm confused, early. (laughs) Sorry, you said late. Justin Trudeau, because Rachel Notley has said she'll follow the letter and the spirit of the election law, which calls for March 1st to May the 1st. So we're actually believing what a politician says. Thanks, Ryan. What do you think, Dave? Yeah, I think it's more likely that Justin Trudeau goes early, that the federal liberals go early. I think they're, I mean, they're leading in the polls. Uh, Andrew Scheer does not appear to have any traction. The NDP are collapsing everywhere. Uh, I think that I think they'll go earlier. But All right. neither, More likely. Is, neither is particularly likely. Though. I think they'll both <laughs> that's go not, on. That's not the point of the game, right? <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> You've ruined the Who game. Who wrote these questions? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Our next question is, is it more likely that Derek Fildebrandt wins in Chestermere, Strathmore, or Stephen Mandel wins in Edmonton, McClung? We'll go with you, Dave. Uh, I think it's more likely that Stephen Mandel wins in Edmonton, McClung. I think that the, uh, I mean, even though the Alberta party hasn't really had much, much, it result, much success in the polls or in fundraising, Mandel is a well-known name uh, in Edmonton politics. He was a city councilor for the area. He's mayor of Edmonton. I think it's more likely that, that he wins his seat than uh, Derek Fildebrand. Yeah, I agree. If I had to pick one, I think I'd go with Mandel and McClung. Although I think Derek could do surprisingly well in Chester mm-hmm. as well. All right. Great, great job. We're keeping a good clip here. Let's keep it up. Is it more likely that the NDP doesn't win any seats in Calgary or that the UCP doesn't win any seats in Edmonton? Your double negatives have confused me. <laughs> but so I think the 
I think that it's more likely the UCP picks up a seat in Edmonton than the NDP in Calgary. Because I think we do, the UCP does have several strong candidates. Did I say that wrong or did you never know? No, no, that's right. You're, you're saying, you're saying that if the UCP is going to win some seats in Edmonton, you're saying it's more likely the NDP doesn't win any seats in Calgary. Yes. What do you think, Dave? <laughs> do you need me to repeat the question? <laughs> Can you read the question again? Is it, it's a double sorry. question. Yeah, it's okay. It's, it's, so, it's either or, right? It's yeah, not, it, so okay. does the, is it more likely that the NDP wins no seats in Calgary or the UCP wins no seats in Edmonton? Oh, I think it's I think it's more like I think it, actually you know what I think it's more likely that the I think the NDP are going to hold on to a couple seats in Calgary despite really? the polls. More yeah. likely than UCP picking up one in Edmonton is what you're saying. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And I'm talking about Edmonton proper. So inside the Edmonton city limits, I think the UCP will pick up seats in the the surrounding communities around the Edmonton. This the seven eight. Well, it's, <laughs> we're, is, we're all the seven eight zero. What is Drake? Red Deer. Yeah. What is Drake called? The six. The four one six. The four one six. We need to. What are we the O? I don't, I don't know. I, I think it depends. Some of you guys might be 587s. Yeah, 587s yeah. are weird. That really messed up those the province. P- those people should be, <laughs> I don't know what, punished. Yeah. Second class citizens with that area code. All right. Our last is it more likely question. Is it more likely that the liberal party elects an MLA in Alberta? Or is it more likely that the Freedom Conservative Party gets more than 5% of the vote? <laughs> Freedom Conservative Party. Yeah. yeah, for me, it's not even close. Yeah. Unanimous decision. There. Yeah, yeah. I think I, I don't. I, don't I, I have a hard time seeing the Liberals winning winning anything in the next election, especially with Doctor Swan not running. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I think that uh, I think it's more likely that uh, that Equipe Derek Fildebrandt gets uh, gets more than five percent of the vote. Are you saying that because the Paris riots kind of line up with Derek's approach to politics? No, it's a Maxime Bernier thing. <laughs> <laughs> mad and I, I don't i mean i don't maybe he'll be running around wearing a yellow vest yellow or vest something. yeah <laughs> i'm sure he'll make that connection soon the dave Berta podcast is brought to you by otherwise otherwise is a podcast created under the auspices of the ribbon rouge foundation it's a variety podcast dedicated to empowering diverse communities living on treaty six territory by sharing stories of their lived experiences The team behind Otherwise is made up of artists, activists, youth, and civically engaged Edmontonians who want to highlight Edmonton's ethnic, linguistic, and cultural diversity and bring about positive social change. Among the hosts are Ahmed Nomadic, Edmonton's Poet Laureate, community builder Karen Tang, and Morinike Olao Shebikan, founder of the Ribbon Rouge Foundation. You can learn more about the show and subscribe to it at otherwiseshow.com. The Dave Berta Podcast is also brought to you by ATB Prosper. Whether you're saving for retirement, a major purchase, your child's education, or just a rainy day, ATB Prosper helps you create a personalized investment plan to assist you in reaching your financial goals. It's easy to create, manage, and follow your progress through your customized digital dashboard. Start investing with as little as $100 and make additional contributions of as little as $25. Visit atbprosper.com to get yourself set up with a brand new investment portfolio and start saving today. That's atbprosper.com. That means it's time for us to open up our mailbag. We've got a few questions that we've been sort of holding on to uh, for a little while. Um, we're going to start with Anisha Seth. Now, she shared a link to a um, an article in the Financial Post uh, talking about 
Alberta Separation from Canada. I don't know if you guys had a chance to read it. I did, yeah. Yeah, I did. So uh, Anisha wants to know what you thought of the author's assertions and predictions about separation. Do they seem legit? So I guess to summarize the article, it's that if Alberta should separate or an actual separatist sentiment comes in, it would be to Canada's detriment. So I agree with that thesis, but I'm not overly concerned about a separatist, like an actual separatist movement. I mean, it's taken, Quebec has like centuries old, deep cultural, linguistic, religious, every type of (laughs) common law. Yeah, exactly. Like they're they're different yeah. than us. They ride on. They drive on the other side of the so street. The, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like they they couldn't no. be more different. You, you can't turn right on a red light. It's crazy. In Montreal, right? In, is, it, it's only, is that only yeah. in Montreal? It is Montreal. It's, Montreal. it's a municipal thing. Yeah. So, but I think the other half of the article about what Alberta means to the country was valid. Mm-hmm. That it would be very much in the interest of the rest of the, pro- the country to start to pay attention and not to sort of just roll their eyes and say, well. This is Alberta being a brat, or what's that German word, Schattenfreude? Like Schattenfreude, Schattenfreude, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't put a lot of stock into the separatism thing, but I do put a lot of stock in this is this is not a good situation for the country. Yeah, I mean, I think that I mean, there's no doubt that a lot of people, a lot of Albertans, are frustrated about the economic situation, and they're frustrated about Ottawa. But like, who isn't frustrated about Ottawa? <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like the Canadian condition. Um, and yeah, I mean, the, like I, I read, I, I looked at some of the polls that Lawrence uh, Solomon mentions in his piece, and I mean, Albertans are a little bit more angry than they traditionally are, but I think that's probably a case of of the economic situation yeah. and not feeling that Ottawa is responding properly. Yeah. I don't really think that. I mean, talking about sep- separation, I don't think that really helps, or it's really like no. viable. I mean, none none of the things that people are angry about will be solved by Alberta separating from Canada. In fact, it would probably make the situation absolutely much worse. I mean, Alberta separating is a bad idea in, just in general. It's in it, it's like not a viable idea. Yeah. Um, but like you're, you you want to separate from Canada because the federal government is doesn't want to or because because of the pipeline issue. Well, the federal government actually owns the pipeline now. So do you think well, Ottawa would want to build a pipeline? It's more than that. It's cultural. It's yeah, yeah. the transfer program. I mean, but if you look at the National Energy Program and the height of the 1980s anger, even then, mm. you know exactly how many MLAs and candidates there were that were into, like independent. But yeah, yeah, there was a in the in the in the early 80s, uh, the Western Canadian con the Western Canada Concept Party, which was a separate separatist party, elected one MLA, uh, and and we have Derek Fildebrand. And yeah, well, I mean, the, the, and and the Western Canadian Concept that was, I mean, that was. The 1980s recession in Alberta was was it was a much different place than Alberta is now. Yeah, you're I talking mean, about 14, 15 percent interest absolutely. rates, people losing their house. Yeah, so so the current situation, and then mm-hmm. and then interest rates being high, unemployment un- unemployment program. doubled high, like mid double digits. It like it was came. it's a, it was mu- it was actually much worse than it is right now. And the NEP, I mean, I know progressives will roll their eyes, but it was actually pretty hostile. Like it was an explicit program to benefit the rest of the country. By shorthanding this part of the country, well, and, and mixed with the draw, and a, again a drop in the international price of oil, which really hurt yeah. hurt Alberta hard. I mean, it's funny when you go look back at the Western Canadian concept and what they're. I mean, when their MLA was elected, you know what his big issues. I've gone back in Hansard and, and looked at what his of you have. what his main issues were, and he was rallying against the metric system, uh, bilingualism, <laughs> you know. So like you know, yeah. basically the equivalent of like uh, he's like you know 
anti-Muslim comments and the angry internet. Imagine uh, what he'd say about these issues. Today. Well, I don't know about him specifically, but but in terms of uh, of, of of that group, he was Twitter personified. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, thank goodness there wasn't Twitter at the time or Facebook at the time. So I don't really think it has legs. I think that uh, that would be in a worse situation. And I mean, if 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 Alberta can leave uh, can leave Canada, then uh, then Alberta's divisible divisible too. So I'm not sure I'd want to be in the same country as Calgary. And let's not start that whole... No, no, exactly. We don't need a Clarity Act here. No. I, you know, but I do think we need to take it seriously. I mentioned on last week's episode, I spent some time meeting with um, business owners in central Alberta and people in Calgary, and the economic angst is real. Like, it's not all political. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is genuine uncertainty about f- mm-hmm. careers and futures and... When you have to decide whether to lay off staff or give everybody a pay cut, you know, those are the tough decisions that are coming and mm-hmm. or that are happening now. And But I, I, I agree. I'm a remainer. I don't think that the separatism conversation is productive. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Anisha asks, are we really at a breaking point? I think if this is a persistent generational narrative, maybe in a couple of decades, maybe, but yeah. things would have to be consistently very, very bad for Alberta. And I, I'm hopeful that they won't be. So thanks for your question, Anisha. That was great. Our next one comes from Stevie Mac. Uh, obviously, Alberta has a wide and diverse population, but even given that, which Alberta columnists slash pundits do you think best or most closely represent the views of the majority of Alberta present company excluded, of course? Uh, who, who are you guys reading? Who are you listening to that? You're like, that person is a reflection of Albertan society. You know who I've been liking lately is Jen Gerson. Oh yeah. I yeah. find myself agreeing. With Formerly of the national post. Formerly of the national post yep. Currently yep. a columnist for the CBC, but I think she's more independent. I don't think it's accurate to call her. A I CBC. think she's written for McLean's as well. Yeah. And she's appeared on Canada land. And so she's, she's out there a lot. I like yeah. her a lot too. She's one of those. And you know, it's kind of like Paul Wells federally for me. I rarely disagree. Like, even when they're critical of my side, sometimes I won't always retweet their articles when they are, <laughs> but I generally think to myself, yeah, she's right. You know, I think her, um, she just wrote a piece the other day about even the issue, and I'm hesitant to get into it, about uh, harm reduction and safe injections. Like, her perspective on it, I thought was very thoughtful. And she also, when you watch her on Ad Issue and other things like that, like, she speaks for me. You know, it's hard to generalize, and I think that Stevie Mac even kind of says you can't say one person speaks for the majority, but she's the one I've been reading lately. What about you guys? I mean, I, I, I read I read all of the columnists and pundits. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not. I have a hard time answering this question because I'm not really sure. It's I'm not really sure. There's a there's an I have an answer. It's not really the. I don't think it's really the role or really the nature of the business for columnists to be reflective of the of the main population because I don't. Right. I mean, it's kind of inherent. Pundits and yeah, and pundits and columnists and people like us are 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 plugged into the system in a way that like normal people aren't. So I think yeah. that uh, that you know we get a view of of politics and and the kind of the day to day mechanics of politics that that normal people don't, and then people who are interested in learning more come to look to columnists and look to pundits to kind of get a view of, of, uh, of what politics, what, what's going on in politics and what politics looks like. So I don't, I think that, you know, I mean, it's kind of a cop out, but I think that people sometimes columnists get it right. And sometimes columnists don't. And I don't think there's one columnist that reflects the views of all Albertans. So you're saying you love Rick Bell the most. Oh, <laughs> and his, his one sentence, uh, 
once one sentence paragraphs it's uh i mean that's his editor dave that's not him oh, surely 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 it's but, not okay i'm gonna not let you off the hook here though okay Who, which one do you think is the closest aligned to you is it jason microsoft at did i say his name right? Mar- microsoft. Microsoft. I, I really McLean. like jason Microsoft. Yeah, I, like him too. I, I think he's he's an excellent writer and i never miss any of his uh, any of his pieces in, in mclean's magazine i like jen gerson too i don't always agree with her but i think she's a gr- really good writer and she's she's very smart and as you know, has a really good take on things. Um, Colby Kosh is great, but Col- again, yeah. I would be more, I think, lined up with me. He, he's yeah, kind no, of just a shit disturber. Yeah, but he, Col- not but in a good way. Totally. That, no, no, no and, and, he, and he's, he's a talented writer. He's a really good writer. I mean, mm-hmm. you, I mean, I, if you're going to talk about columnists, I mean, Don Braid from the Calgary Herald has been around for a long time writing about Alberta politics, and he, you know, I, I don't always agree with his columns, but he has good, he writes good columns. He gets, uh, has, has takes that a lot of, you know, a lot of people miss. Um, Senator Simons. She was great. Paul, yes, Senator yeah. Paula Simons. I mean, it's yeah. funny because a lot of my compatriots on the right find her very irritating. A lot of my compatriots on the left find her so very irritating. she must irritating. be doing something right. Yeah. But where she really earned my sort of highest thought of her is on the child welfare file. Oh, yeah. You know, when she wrote yeah. about a couple of years ago the death of the child in, in care and the angst and the sort of just um, raw unsatisfaction with the system that came through her writing was very was very profound mm. and it felt like it resonated but then i'd be remiss not to mention that she was basically an apologist for a dude who was accused of doing things you're not supposed to do with children she wrote a column about a, a drama teacher i think from mm-hmm. victoria school or something like that and you know so on the one hand yeah she really shined a light on children in care but on the other hand yeah, like well, she's I, human too, right? Sure, but Not I know just, a lot of folks who are really, really upset and still are upset with her about that. Well, one of my fantasies as a former politician and a political um, activist is to watch the journalists try and then see how they do. There's a little bit of a schadenfreude there. Not that's not the right word, but it's like these guys, the critics, mm-hmm. journalists and poli sci profs, they spend their whole career critiquing. And the classic thing about it is, yeah, okay, well, you try. You know, go to the front doors, knock on doors, ask for dollars, ask for votes. And now as a senator, she doesn't have to do some of those. But <laughs> it will be interesting watching her. And if we ever talk yeah. to her, this is what I'm going to say. Like, here's your chance. You know, I could build a case over your career of all the things you said that they should do different. Let's see what you can do. Yeah. yeah. And it'll be, because I actually think she, one of the reasons why I was happy she got appointed was I think she will take it very seriously. Mm-hmm. And even the way she's documenting it and bringing her journalist perspective, like I actually think that's positive. Me too. Whether you like the Senate or not, at least it's a window behind Mm -hmm. the curtain. Mm -hmm. So that'll be interesting to watch. Mm -hmm. The red curtain. We're going to try and have her on the show in the new year. Yeah. Um, Dave planted that seed with her recently. Uh, Great answers though, fellas. Thank you so much. We've got a, a volley of questions now from Elliot Samuel. He asks, how much effort do we put into equality issues prior to the election? It's clear the UCP is led and supported by the anti-LGBTQ crowd. It's not clear. Figured Ryan would bump on that. We'll talk about that. How do fiscal conservatives rally behind the UCP when the majority, my friends included, uh, think, sorry, not rally behind the UPC, but rally behind their parties, when the majority of my friends included, sorry. No, he was talking about the UCP, I think. Yes. The party. How? I'm going to do that again. How do fiscal conservatives rally behind the party when the majority, my friends included, think equality shouldn't even be an issue? Because it is. So, first of all, you, you're you not going to accept the premise of the question. 
right? Just like we learned on the West. Right? <laughs> no, and I don't know, Elliot. I suspect... Actually, I don't know. I don't know his situation. This may be a question designed to provoke or it might be a genuine position. I, he's not the only one who feels this, but I would dispute the premise. I don't think it's clear that we're led by an anti-LGBTQ crowd. I mean, clearly, even this week, Kenny was confronted confronted with some statements he made 20 years ago and his approach was to say, look, I'm sorry, but it's changed. You know, like, I know that this is a very sensitive discussion, but the leader has taken public positions to say that it doesn't matter who you love or who you worship. And that's what I cling to. I would put myself in that category of fiscal conservatives rallying to the party, making sure. So what I would say to you, Elliot, is, and I don't know if you're conservative or not, but the solution for some of us is to be the change. <laughs> There's another lingo. Like, to get in there and to fight for your party, to fight for the soul of conservatism, to make sure that the UCP isn't its worst UCP, but its best UCP. So that's my approach. Mm -hmm. You asked how do fiscal conservatives rally behind the party. That's it for me. Now I'm sure you guys will have a different perspective. On I, yeah, I mean, there's there's no doubt that there is an anti-LGBTQ crowd in the UCP, uh, and there's a strong social conservative conservative element to Jason Kenney's electoral coalition, the, the political coalition that helped him win the PC leadership in 2017, that helped him win the UCP leadership in 2017, and that will will be behind him going into the next provincial election. Uh, I mean, you look at the groups that are supporting candidates. Uh, the anti-gay straight alliance groups that are are backing different UCP candidates in nomination races. The I mean, you're talking about social conservatism and not necessarily LGBT LGBTQ rights, but talking about the abortion issue. You have abortion group, anti-abortion groups, who are backing candidates um, quite publicly and and actively. Uh, you have the comments that John Carpe made. Uh, comparing the pride flag to the flag of the Soviet Union and okay, the, but the, the Nazi swastika. No, no, it's but, but, but what but, was Kenny's response to that? He said it's totally unacceptable. Well, it's totally unacceptable. And then, and then maybe we'll consider, well, you know, kicking him out, but it's not really up to me. Like you take a real, like real weak, weak, weak response to it. I mean, instead of saying that, that these kind of views aren't an unacceptable, John Carpe has no place in the party. He yeah. said, well, it's not up to me to kick someone out of the party when the week before he'd, he'd basically, said that he's going to kick someone out of the party when the, when they were connected yeah. to a white supremacist uh, website just, online. So, I mean, Kenny is is being careful. He knows that. I mean, Kenny is also a social conservative, which is the other thing. Um, yeah, and is, that, is the, the, these are these are these are this is part of the 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 group and the coalition that that brought him to where he is now. I mean, the the comments that that were revealed last week about his work in the AIDS hospice in San Francisco when he was down in university in San Francisco in the late, I think it was in the late 1980s. Um, I mean, this is something that he's brought up in the past when he's tried to, when he's tried to deflect uh, criticism about his views on, 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 on gay rights. He said, well, I, you know, I worked in this AIDS hospice. I cleaned the bloody bed sheets and yeah, okay, I'm not going to, we're not going to dispute that. Uh, but we found out last week that actually at the same time he was successfully advocating to bar same sex spouses of people who were dying in this hospice from visiting them. Um, and I, I, I don't know if he actually apologized for that. I think his response when, when for, to, the, to reporters when they asked him this week, do, do, you know, are, do, you, are, do you feel sorry for this or you know, do you regret it? He said, sure. So instead of actually going and saying, you know, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't have done this. Yeah, I apologize for this. I mean, maybe, maybe I missed it. Maybe I missed a, a, a bigger apology, but sure is, is not really the appropriate response to something like this. And yeah, times change and this was a long time ago, but, but 
you know, you can, you can say that your views have changed, but when you're, you know, tacitly supporting guys like John Carpe and these groups who are backing you, backing you, backing you, your, your political mission, um, it's, you know, it, I, I don't know if it's, it's hard, hard to really convince people, like, at least like me, that, that his views have actually changed on this, like meaningfully. And then this goes, I mean, kind of goes, goes to, I think a lot of the frustration that I've been hearing is that Jason Kenney doesn't need John Carpe. Jason Kenney doesn't need uh, Parents for Choice in Education. Jason Kennedy doesn't need these abortion activist groups, anti-abortion activist groups in order to win the next election, but he's bringing them along. They're on, they're, they're riding in his car, um, riding to potential victory in 2019. And, and the question is, is, well, you know, he, if he, if he doesn't, you know, I mean, I, I would argue he doesn't actually need them because the UCP is doing, doing well enough. Why are, you know, why are they, why are they still in, still in his coalition? If the UCP gets elected in 2019, they're going to expect him to deliver on, on, uh, on, their political agenda. And I think that's really concerning for a lot of groups and a lot of people in Alberta. All right. We're going to move on because uh, Elliot had a few more questions, a little on the lighter side. So let's start with this one. Why aren't we calling them Bernier bros yet? Because we totally should. I wrote agreed. Yeah. So we're good with that. Yeah. Agreed. Henceforth, anything related to Maxime Bernier's supporters, Bernier bros. And his last question why aren't we making more fun of Andrew Shear bringing in Kevin O'Leary to reach out to millennials or whatever? <laughs> this deserves way more ridicule than I'm seeing on Twitter. I wrote, be the change. We said, <laughs> we said above, if you want the party to do something, you should do it. If you want to make fun of this, then lead the way. It is kind of weird. And, and also Brett Wilson basically banging the separatist drum now. Yeah. And like they, these two TV oh, celebrity douchebags. Good, good grief. Brett, Brett Wilson talking about how we should hang people who oppose pipelines. Oh, just man. totally it's, crazy see, stuff. See, it's funny because... Off the, off the end. I, I have frustrations with him too, but that stuff, I kind of just see it as whatever. He's making a point. The reverse of the conversation we just had. Like, our cognitive biases are so interesting <laughs> when you see them because characters like him, I kind of like roll my eyes and then I focus on what the substance is of what he's saying. But yet, I just told you about a person on the left that I can't do the same thing for. Mm. And even Rex Murphy, like, I was talking to Adrian King um, about Rex Murphy, and she's like, really? Like, you guys actually like him? I'm like, we love Rex Murphy. It's just, everybody has a bias. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if anyone does a good job of being aware of it, but... So Brett Wilson shouldn't be talking about hanging people, for sure. Yeah. And he also beat up on the U of A way too much, for my liking. But he's also, like, you know, a voice for a certain group in calgary and okay we've dedicated enough of this podcast <laughs> to talking about brett wilson let's move on that group in calgary by the way the old and the shitty here's our next question from chase clark <laughs> and the rich and the rich old shitty. i want to get invited to his garden party that's kind of one of my bucket probably lists. be hilarious i'm guessing the two of you probably won't ever be invited well no. actually dave moet probably goes y yeah but dave knows not to bring me places <laughs> <laughs> all right our, our next question is from chase clark chase asks uh, Prob Gill has been very outspoken against the UCP these past few days regarding the allegations against him. And now there are rumors that he is considering joining Derek Fildebrand's party. Think there's any truth to this? And more importantly, will it have any impact? Ryan, what do you think? My eyes hurt from rolling so hard. <laughs> I think they just rolled all the way around back again. Two wrongs don't make a right. Two sour grapes don't make good juice. Mm. This is ridiculous. The only thing that those two have in common is that they've lost nominations recently. <laughs> nominations that they were quite happy to pursue. I don't see the principled stand with either of them when they were winning. Interesting. So I would look at Derek. I see the hard right. 
I see Prob Gill as an actual Trudeau liberal. In 2015, the Wild Rose was mad at him because he was happy Trudeau became prime minister. <laughs> yeah, they send out attack ads during yeah. the, the by-election. Yeah. I mean, and I like Prob. He's actually a nice enough guy, and I'm friendly with Derek. They have nothing in common. Hmm. If the two of those ever got together, it would be the most cynical thing I can think of. <laughs> so nakedly just about party resources, I guess, if you reach a certain amount of caucus size. Yeah, yeah but, but we don't even know if the legislature is going to sit again. So there's no, like in terms of if you're going to cross the floor, if you're going to go from being an independent to being uh, a freedom conservative party, MLA, like <laughs> like it might actually not even make a difference because they're both from Cal- Calgary area. Yeah. So oh, you we'll, mean we'll, Derek's not from Chester Mary <laughs> Calgary bow? I don't know. Uh, so, so uh, like, I don't know. I don't know what the, uh, I mean, unless he's planning on running, you know, Prop Gill is planning on running for re-election. I don't really know what meaningful. No change this would have so like in any anyway so the answer to the question is there any truth to this is who cares maybe <laughs> no no offense chase clark and i know that rumor is out there i'm not mocking yeah. you i'm mocking the no it's a good question it's guys, a good question these two guys inflated self-worth has a lot to do with sour grape so is there any truth to this who cares more importantly will it have any impact same answer yeah no probably not i mean yeah it might be true but it's not really going to have much of an impact. One of the other things we did when we let people know we were doing a sort of extended mailbag was to, at, to to ask people to share their thoughts on how things are going in Alberta right now or the future of Alberta. And Natasha Kornack sent us this really thoughtful comment. She said, I'm in my last year of university. I'm worried the, about the Alberta job market and what it holds for my generation. I want to come back to Alberta, but there appear to be way more job opportunities in Ontario compared to Alberta. It's really funny because, um, you know, four years ago-ish, a woman I was working with, she and her partner moved out to Alberta. Uh, He's a teacher, a high school teacher, and the job prospects for him were just so much better out out here. Now, I don't know what Natasha's degree is going to be in, but it's it's troubling to me that someone's having this thought about Alberta. It's, you know, it's just another reminder that, this is in fe- uh, the economy right now is affecting people far and wide. What do you think? Do you think? Do you think Natasha gets a chance to come back to Alberta, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends what you want to do. I mean, if you're if you're planning on getting started in the oil and gas sector, it's probably not the most ideal time to mm-hmm. come. I mean, it depends what depends what you're studying in university and what you want to do in Alberta. I mean, as we said, like the economy is actually, you know, relatively doing actually relatively okay compared to most provinces in Canada and even compared to how Alberta was doing a few years ago, you know, unemployment has dropped. I mean, but we do still live, we live in a boom bust oil based economy. So, I mean, I don't know what the price of oil is going to be like in three months, Well, let, let's, you know, or, or four months or a year from now. And that, that'll be a big driver in terms of, of what, uh, you know, how the, how the economy looks. So I think Alberta's, you know, regardless of how you feel about, about the government, now or who the government might be next year i think alberta is still a really good place to a really good place to live we have a you know excellent quality of life there's a lot of opportunity here we're a really young population compared to most of all of all of all other provinces mm-hmm. um so yeah i'd say you know come on back to alberta what do you think right so first of all i want to give props to natasha because she's one of the co-founders and people behind story of a tory which is a group of women uh, conservative activists and they're talking about she's advocating against sexual violence for awareness of harassment the tagline for story of a Tory which at f- Twitter is at story of a Tory is thinking outside the block with your favorite conservative feminist so I'm supportive of their work and I see Natasha out there all the time um, to answer your question or to I guess my approach is 
this is not only sort of a concern, but it's kind of the concern these days. Mm-hmm. Natasha, you know, we think of young people and choosing where to put down roots and choosing where to raise their families. And historically, for the last 40 years, Alberta has been the place. You know, I, I don't think that we're, we've lost that yet. I mean, Dave mentioned we're a young population and a growing population. Those things are all true, but I'm concerned too. I really want to make sure that we are the place where my kids want to stay. We have relatives in the Maritimes and in Ontario and they still think of Alberta as the land of opportunity. Mm-hmm. And it is kind of a concern to think, you know, in the medium term, in the long term, what will we be? The last 40 years has been the story of the oil sands. And we talked about it every episode just about, but I'm not sure if 40 years out from now that'll still be true. Mm-hmm. So I hope Natasha comes home and uses that Queen's degree to build our economy here. Yeah, definitely. Thanks so much for your comment, Natasha. This next question, our second last for this, probably the briefest of Dave Berta podcast we've ever made. We have some Christmas cheer to get to. That's right. Uh, This is from Spencer Bennett, and I suspect we'll be able to answer this quite quickly. Spencer asks, is Twitter an effective way to discuss politics? Do most people on Twitter and social media in general have their minds made up anyway? Is it just an echo chamber? Uh, No, yes, and yes. So no, it's not an effective way to d- discuss politics. I actually, I think we've seen clear demonstrations of this. Yeah. The, that, yeah, there are any well, number sorry. of factors that go into it. I think part of it is there aren't real, often real consequences for what you say and the way you behave on social media, especially if you're not using your real name. And I used to hate it when David Staples, when I was working at Oilers Nation and David Staples would bring that up all the time, but I get it now. I still don't like David Staples, but I get it now. The fake name thing? Yeah, like you're not all agreeing to behave by a set of rules or decorum or whatever, and so that creates toxic environments. And I, I think, think of pretty terrible. Think of our front man here, Dave Corney. You know, it's been a decade and you've used your real name that whole time. People know where you work, where to find you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about YouTube, but I don't actually engage with anonymous accounts. I've just made it a policy. Like I rarely will. Sometimes yeah. on maybe. Twitter you're talking about. Yeah, on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. I, I, I made a choice a while, a few yeah. years ago that I just don't engage with anonymous accounts. Cause yeah. why would you like, why? What's the point? But it's you know, a waste of time. The thing is, so Spencer, like I see you, Spencer, trying, and I, I do think that it's noble. And sometimes I see you actually trying to generate genuine conversations. And part of me is thinking, like, oh, poor Spencer, this <laughs> this isn't gonna work. Um, but then I think to myself, okay, that's pretty cynical. And second of all, we do know that votes change, so it's easy to say it's dog it's dog bites man that nobody's opinion changes at debates or on Twitter. But voters' minds do change. Mm-hmm. In the twenty fifteen election. Going into it, nobody would have predicted a NDP majority. So something happened. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe we should all step back and think, maybe Twitter for us has become something, but maybe it doesn't have to be that. Or maybe it does. I mean, I share your frustrations with Twitter. But there has to be a forum for these discussions. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Spencer, keep trying. Like, I hate for you to come to our podcast and for us to tell you that Twitter doesn't matter because we are pretty optimistic i think but the you know it sometimes that particular channel is pretty tough to stomach yeah yeah and i think that i mean it's just to remember i mean it's really easy and you see this happen with mlas and political staffers and and part party activists i mean like like spencer is that it's easy to it's easy to get caught up in twitter and think that twitter is politics 
when you know twitter is the politics that you're doing but like the vast large majority of people are not engaged in this social media platform and mm-hmm. it's important to remember that so that's yeah. and that's when you get talking about the the echo chamber exactly yeah. yeah so you know my advice for for you know i'll give the advice to you that i would give all candidates and people wanting to get involved in politics is go knock on doors mm-hmm. yeah spend yeah. less time on twitter yeah you'll be happier you'll be healthier Our last question of the year, fellas, is from Matt Schneider. And Matt is asking, is there a way to make issues of the environment and taxation, be it the carbon tax or the PST, less politically toxic so that we as the electorate can have adult conversations about them? I'm curious to know what you guys think, right? I have concerns with the premise of the question. Okay. I I wrote down my, my thoughts here. So I'm sympathetic to what you're trying to say, Matt. And in fact, I think a less toxic cross-partisan discussion is kind of the po- purpose of this podcast. But, and there's a big but circled, don't confuse disagreement with toxicity. If you fundamentally disagree on any issues, it doesn't look that different than a non-adult conversation. If you talk to someone who's deeply opposed to um, taxation, higher taxes, you're being a little bit... I would say arrogant if we say that disagreeing with that means you can't have an adult conversation. They're they're perfectly confident in their answers. Like so often calls for adult conversation smack of a total lack of regard for the other side because the other side is very confident in their opinion. So you need a different approach. When you accuse people of toxicity if they don't agree with you, then I think you're not going to persuade anyone. You know, and we we've talked about some of these issues before like the sales tax. We, it is true, it's hard to have an adult conversation, quote-unquote, but you, you have to be careful there because if you go too far to suggest that disagreement with me means you can't have an adult conversation, you're not persuading. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I, I'm not sure exactly what, what Matt uh, meant by toxicity, but I, I absolutely take your point, Ryan. Dave, what do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I mean, to approach the question a little differently. Uh, instead of... In, I mean, I'm... I'm Looking at the two issues that Matt uh, Matt asked about about the environment and about taxation, uh, I guess the way I look at it is is what would it take to have? I mean, approach approach answering the questions and you know, thinking about what would it take to have meaningful change on these two on these two issues. So, in the environment, you're talking. I, I would assume that you're talking about climate change. Um, what would it take to have real meaningful um, meaningful change implemented in in Alberta or in Canada on on this issue? Uh, I think we've learned that in terms of, of politics, that a carbon tax, even though economists love it and people in the know love it, it might not be the best way to actually implement, actually electorally and politically implement um, uh, a, a climate change initiative because it doesn't seem to be politically palatable. I mean, the carbon tax is kind of a funny one because it's actually a conservative idea. It's something that conservatives came up with. It's a market idea. Uh, it's something that conservatives convinced liberals and progressives to embrace, and then conservatives rallied against it when it be, when 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 their opponents embraced it. Um, so maybe these kind of market modifiers aren't exactly aren't the way to actually approach this approach this issue in terms of the, the politics of dealing with climate change. Um, I kind of think that the meaningful change on climate change and meaningful change on taxation and i mean taxation if you're talking about alberta's finances and our overdependence on resource royalties that leads leads to these years where we have massive surpluses and then massive deficits and there's no stability uh but we can't seem to talk about 
actually getting our financial house in order, no matter which party's in power, we can't actually talk about. Maybe we need to actually think about having a provincial sales tax. It's seen as seen as a third rail. I think that it's going to require a crisis, a real crisis to actually have this to, to, to fix these situations. Uh, I think that it might actually have to be imposed on us. I think that in terms of Alberta, um, as we move into the next decades and climate change becomes something that's a lot more real for a lot of people, uh, I think that Alberta, if we don't uh, actually get our, our, get our shit together, uh, we might actually have something imposed on us by Ottawa that and and not just Ottawa, but the rest of Canada uh, that we might not like. So we got to figure this out and, and be a team player in terms of actually dealing with climate change. Denial, climate change denial is not an option. That's just not the future. Well, I think part of the problem with, you know, the, the, the question is, how do we have adult conversations? One of the big challenges and, you know, the question before was about social media debates. We actually don't ever spend time setting the table in a big way and sort of going, okay, we agree. Do we agree on the following facts? Uh, you know, in the, in the climate change debate, it's do you, do we agree that climate change is man-made at least, but you know, to some point and we, we're not having those conversations. We're jumping right into our opinions and generally speaking, just waiting for our turn to talk. Mm. And you said it earlier, Ryan, like the purpose of this show is to get, folks together who maybe normally wouldn't spend time together in a room to talk about these issues. And I think we've done an okay job of agreeing on certain facts. I mean, ultimately I think our goals are the same. We want Alberta to be strong. We want, we want our kids to stay here. We want them to be able to get jobs. We want to improve their lot. Um, but we have to agree on a, on a, on terms of reference before we can have these adult conversations. Cause otherwise we're talking from disparate positions that don't make any sense. Yeah, and we have to realize like people will disagree, and that's why we have politics. So you have to focus on either the starting facts or the outcome. But I have an example about the other side of the same debate. So you can look at the healthcare system when the NDP came in, and there was within the framework of the Canada Health Act, which says single payer, publicly administrated. There were some private clinics working in the system, and I think they were doing hips or cataracts. There, there are still. Yeah, but there were some that the NDP shut down. And if you could, I know conservatives and probably myself who would say, here in Alberta, we can't have an adult conversation about the healthcare system because the Friends of Medicare, if they see the world private, even if it's private delivery within a public system, even if users don't pay, the ideal ideology of the NDP government shut it down. So I would say, you know, an adult conversation about healthcare. When you look at the entire rest of the world, we see it as black or white, public or private. Every other major country in the world has a combination of the two. And we had a system even within the Canada Health Act that was private delivery within a public system. And the NDP would say, no, not acceptable, un impossible. And so people on my side would say, why can't we have an adult conversation about that? You see, I, 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 I come at it from, I feel about healthcare from the other, I mean, from the other direction. Yeah, we do have, I mean, there are, private elements within the healthcare system, but I feel that the past conservative governments we've had have, haven't been able to have an adult conversation about public health care, and rather they're ideologically focused on introducing private elements and privatizing and expanding private health care and long-term care and expanding but private health care. But within the framework, we have the Canada Health Act framework, yeah. and no government proposed anything that would violate the framework. So is the framework is, is the real framework an ideological question about delivery, or is it the Canada Health Act? 
So the, I'm I'm just trying to illustrate that yeah, yeah. No, adult no, conversation we, yeah. is very subjective. No, 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 and I agree. I'm just I'm just I'm demonstrating from my side that that I don't think that conservatives are having an adult conversation. But about the PC this. government never called on publicly or private funding. They never called on us having. Um, I guess they did have a health savings account, but they didn't talk about the sort of system where users pay for their own insurance, right? Like no, 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 no yeah, no, and and. But I'm talking about in terms of, of private delivery versus public delivery. And that, right. that's what we're talking about, right? Yeah. And delivery, private delivery is within the bounds of the Canada Health Act. Yeah. So is it about the Canada Health Act or is it about the Friends of Medicare's fire, firewall around who delivers? No, I think it's, I mean, I think it's about the, the preservation of health care and the, I mean, encroaching privatization. And, and how, how much? How much of this is? Results, how much of this time. is? Well, yeah. I mean, and then there, and there's debate around: is Which it actually is, is it actually more efficient to, yeah. to privatize? And this it is why to, we have politics. And and yeah, totally. This is why we have politics. But I feel and, like Matt Snyder was Im- implying his side is the adults, and the other side are the toxics, mm. and that's what I'm trying to say, is not really helpful. Yeah, I mean, I think on the I think we've passed that point on if you're talking about taxation and you're talking about the environment i think we've kind of passed the point where one side is the adult and one side is the, well, I is the child i think that i think that there's toxic toxicity on both sides oh okay i'm with you there yeah one thing i have to say i've been waiting for my chance is do you know how <laughs> you can prove man-made climate change is a real concern that it is true that it's not a grand conspiracy i think i've said this maybe on the show because academics live to tear each other down. If there was, and this is why I know Area 51 is not real, unfortunately, <laughs> and that they did go to the You're moon. You're hearing it here first, folks. I, I wish Area 51 was true. And I'm 100% convinced they went to the moon for the same reason why I know man-made climate change is real. Because if it, there was even a glimmer of light in that consensus, academics love to take each other down. That's the whole point of peer review. Mm -hmm, They fight about way smaller issues than that for their entire careers. So if there was a credible academic, even one, they would make their career. They would win the Nobel Prize by proving that it's all big conspiracy. The only people who talk about man-made climate change as a conspiracy are people who are outside of the system, who don't have the data. And I'm a conservative. I think, like you said, Adam, we need to... Establish the facts. Now, we can have a real disagreement on what Alberta's political response to man-made climate mm-hmm. change should be. But when we just categorically say it's fake, or what did Donald Trump say? Some people who are very intelligent, such as myself, still don't believe it. <laughs> it's like, well, dude. And the thing that frustrates me about the conservative side, and this is, I guess, how I'm going to end 2018, is we like to be the party of hard data and numbers. But sometimes we're not. And we've, we've made an ideological decision, not all of us, that... Drew Barnes. <laughs> the man-made climate change is a grand conspiracy. But that's the same thing as vaccinations. A lot of the people who think vaccinations are, in fact, good also think man-made climate change is a lie. And, like, I could see you being consistent one way, but it's really hard for me to figure out why some people straddle that. Given the data. I, I, either you yeah. believe in science or you don't believe in science. Yeah, and science is data measurement. The yeah. scientific method is write things down. Wait a couple test days them. and they're, check they're, and test them and do it again. There, there, there you go, conservatives. Your message, your year-end message from Ryan Hassman. <laughs> climate change is real. Get with the program. Yes. Merry Christmas. That's a great way. Merry to, Christmas. Great way to end a massive mailbag. Thanks, guys. That's it for this episode. That's it for season one or first year of yeah. the Dave Berta podcast. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much for for tuning in today and and tuning in for the past. 25 episodes we uh 
We've loved recording these and we're looking forward to a lot more in exciting 2019 with two big elections coming up. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, huge thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, uh, powered by ATB, for supporting the show. And a huge thanks to our producer, Adam Rosenhart, who, without his skills, knowledge, uh, uh, Equipment, addictive personality, <laughs> and equipment, and the means would, of production, the, and the means of production. This show would, would never happen. So thank you from from the bottom of both our hearts. Yeah, I, I, uh, well, people ask me sometimes like what you know what's involved with making a podcast, and I tell them I have no idea. I just show <laughs> up and talk, and Adam does all the work, and yeah. Dave, you do a lot of the work too. So thank you, Adam. It's yeah, it, no, thanks so much. You're, you're awesome. I, I love doing this with with you guys, and I'm looking forward to 2019. Send us your feedback or ask us any questions you have for our first episode of 2019. Uh, you can get us on Twitter at, at DaveBerta or on the DaveBerta Facebook page, or you can email us at podcast at DaveBerta.ca. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs>